Hello and welcome to this Wednesday, July 31st, 2019 Law of Success Mastermind Call. Today we are on self-confidence. We are on the Applied Faith Week and it translates in self-confidence in the Law of Success versus Keys to Success or Think and Grow Rich. So... I'm just going to jump into it. One of the chief disadvantages of inherited wealth is the fact that it too often leads to inaction and loss of self-confidence. Some years ago, a baby boy was born to Mrs. E.B. McLean in the city of Washington. His inheritance was said to be around $100 million. When this baby was taken for an airing in its carriage, it was surrounded by nurses and assistant nurses and detectives and other servants whose duty was to see that no harm befell it. As the years passed by, this same vigilance was kept up. This child did not have to dress himself. He he had servants who did that. Servants watched over him while he slept and while he was at play. He was not permitted to do anything that a servant could do for him. He had grown to the age of 10 years. One day he was playing in the yard and noticed that the back gate had been left open. In all of his life, he had never been outside of the gate alone and naturally that was just the thing that he wished to do. During a moment when the servants were not looking, he dashed out at the gate and was run down and killed by an automobile before he reached the middle of the street. He had used his servants' eyes until his own no longer served him as they might have done had he learned to rely upon them. Twenty years ago, the man whom I served as secretary sent his two sons away to school. One of them went to the University of Virginia and the other to a college in New York. Each month, it was a part of my task to make out a check for $100 for each of these boys. This was their pin money to be spent as they wished. How profitably I remember the way I envied those boys as I made out those checks each month. Remember, this was like a hundred years ago. (laughs) I often wondered why the hand of fate bore me into the world in poverty. I could look ahead and see how these boys would rise to the high stations in life while I remained a humble clerk. In due time, the boys returned home with their sheepskins, quote-unquote, Their father was a wealthy man who owned banks and railroads and coal mines and other property of great value. Good positions were waiting for the boys in their father's employ. But 20 years of time can play cruel tricks on those who have never had to struggle. Perhaps a better way to state this truth would be that time gives those who have never had to struggle a chance to play cruel tricks on themselves. At any time, at any rate, these two boys brought home from school other things besides their sheepskins. They came back with well-developed capacities for strong drink. 
capacities which they developed because the hundred dollars which each of them received each month made it unnecessary for them to struggle. Theirs is a long and sad story, the details of which will not interest you, but you will be interested in their finis. As this lesson is being written, I have on my desk a copy of the newspaper published in the town where the, these boys lived. Their father has been bankrupted, and his costly mansion, where the boys were born, has been placed on the block for sale. One of the boys died of delirium tremens, and the other one is in an insane asylum. Not all rich men's sons turn out so unfortunately, but the fact remains, nevertheless, that inaction leads to atrophy, and this, in turn, leads to loss of ambition and self-confidence. And without these essential qualities, a man will be carried through life on the wings of uncertainty, just as a dry leaf may be carried here and there on the bosom of the stray winds. Far from being a disadvantage, struggle is a decided advantage because it develops those qualities which would forever lie dormant without it. Many a man has found his place in the world because of having been forced to struggle for existence early in life. Lack of knowledge of the advantages accruing from struggle has prompted many a parent to say, I had to work hard when I was young, but I shall see to it that my children have an easy time. Poor foolish creatures. An easy time usually turns out to be a greater handicap than the average young man or woman can survive. There are worse things in this world than being forced to work in early life. Forced idleness is far worse than forced laziness, labor. <clears throat> Being forced to work and forced to do your best will breed in you temperance and self-control and strength of will and content and, hundred, uh, and a hundred other virtues which the idol will never know. Not only does lack of the necessity for struggle lead to weakness of ambition and willpower, but what it is more dangerous still is it is sets up in a person's mind a state of lethargy that leads to the loss of self-confidence. The person who has quit struggling because effort is no longer necessary is literally applying the principle of auto-suggestion in undermining his own power of self-confidence. Such a person will finally drift into a frame of mind in which he will actually look with more or less contempt upon the person who is forced to carry on. The human mind, if you will pardon the reputation, repetition, may be likened to an electric battery. It may be positive or it may be negative. Self-confidence is the quality with which the mind is recharged and made positive. Let us apply this line of reasoning to salesmanship and see what part of self-confidence plays in this great field of endeavor. One of the greatest salesmen this country has ever seen was once a clerk in a newspaper office. It will be worth your while to analyze the method through which he gained his title as the world's leading salesman.
He was a timid young man with a more or less retiring sort of nature. He was one of those who believed it best to slip in by the back door and take a seat at the rear of the stage of life. One evening, he heard a lecture on the subject of this lesson, self-confidence. And that lecture so impressed him that he left the lecture hall with a firm determination to pull himself out of the rut into which he had drifted. He went to the business manager of the paper and asked for a position as solicitor of advertising and, and was put to work on a commission basis. Everyone in the office expected to see him fail, as this sort of salesmanship calls for the most positive type of sales ability. He went to his room and made out a list of a certain type of merchants on whom he intended to call. One would think that he would naturally have made up his list of the names of those whom he believed he could sell with the least effort, but he did nothing of the sort. He placed on his list only the names of the merchants on whom other advertising solicitors had called without making a sale. His list consisted of only 12 names. Before he made a single call, he went out to the city park, took out his list of 12 names, read it over a hundred times, saying to himself as he did so, you will purchase advertising space for me before the end of the month. Then he began to make his calls. The first day he closed sales with three of the 12 impossibilities. During the remainder of the week, he made sales to two others. By the end of the month, he had opened advertising accounts with all but one of the merchants that he had on the list. For the ensuing month, he made no sales. For the reason that he made no calls except on this one obstinate merchant. Every morning when he, when the store opened, he was on hand to interview this merchant and every morning the merchant said no. The merchant knew he was not going to buy advertising space, but this young man didn't know it. When the merchant said no, the young man did not hear it, but kept right on coming. On the last day of the month after having told his persistent young man no, the 30 consecutive for 30 consecutive times, the merchant said, Look here, young man, you have wasted a whole month trying to sell me. Now, what I would like to know is this. Why have you wasted your time? Wasted my time nothing, he retorted. I have been going to school and you have been my teacher. Now I know all the arguments that a merchant can bring up for not buying. And besides that, I have been drilling myself in self-confidence. Then the merchant said, I will make a little confession of my own. I too have been going to school and you have been my teacher. You have taught me a lesson in persistence that is worth money to me. And to show you my appreciation, I am going to pay my tuition fee by giving you an order for advertising space. And that was the way in which the Philadelphia North Americans best advertising account was brought in. Likewise, it marked the beginning of a reputation that has made the same young man a millionaire. He succeeded because he deliberately charged his own mind with sufficient self-confidence to make the mind an irresistible force. 
When he sat down to make that list of 12 names, he did something that 99 people out of 100 would not have done. He selected the names of those whom he believed it would be hard to sell because he understood that out of the resistance he would meet with in trying to sell them would come strength and self-confidence. He was one of the very few people who understand that rivers and some men are crooked because of the following because of following the line of least resistance. No man can become a great leader of men unless he has the milk of human kindness in his own heart and leads by suggestion and kindness rather than by force. I am going to digress and here break the line of thought for a moment while recording a word of advice to the wives of men. Remember these lines are intended only for wives and husbands are not expected to read that which is here set down. From having analyzed more than 16,000 people, the majority of whom were married men, I have learned something that may be of value to wives. Let me state my thoughts in these words. You have it, in with, you have it within your power to send your husband away to his work or his business or his profession each day with a feeling of self-confidence that will carry him successfully over the rough spots of the day and bring him home again at night smiling and happy. One of my acquaintances of former years married a, a woman who had a set of false teeth. One day, his wife dropped her teeth and broke the plate. The husband picked up the pieces and began examining them. He showed such interest in them that his wife said, You could make a set of teeth like those if you made up your mind to do it. The man was a farmer whose ambitions had never carried him beyond the bounds of his little farm until his wife made that remark. She walked over and laid her hand on his shoulder and encouraged him to try his hand at dentistry. She finally coaxed him to make the start, and today he is one of the most prominent and successful dentists in the state of Virginia. I know him well, for he is my father. <laughs> no one can foretell the possibilities of achievement available to the man whose wife stands at the back and urges him on to bigger and better endeavor. For it is a well-known fact that a woman can arouse a man so that he will perform almost superhuman feats. It is your right and your duty to encourage your husband and urge him on in worthy undertakings until he shall have found his place in the world. You can induce him to put forth greater effort than can any other person in the world. Make him believe that nothing within reason is beyond his power of achievement and you will have rendered him a service that will go a long way toward helping him win in the battle of life. One of the most successful men in his line in America gives entire credit for his success to his wife. When they were first married, she wrote a creed which he signed and placed over his desk. This is a copy of the creed. 
I believe in myself. I believe in those who work with me. I believe in my employer. I believe in my friends. I believe in my family. I believe that God will lend me everything I need with which to succeed if I do my best to earn it through faithful and honest service. I believe in prayer, and I will never close my eyes and sleep without praying for divine guidance to the end that I will be patient with other people and tolerant with those who do not believe as I do. I believe that success is a result of intelligent effort and does not depend upon luck or sharp practices or double-crossing friends, fellow men, or my employer. I believe I will get out of life exactly what I put into it. Therefore, I will be careful to conduct myself toward others as I would want them to act toward me. I will not slander those whom I do not like. I will not slight my work no matter what I may see others doing. I will render the best service of which I am capable because I have pledged myself to succeed in life, and I know that success is always the result of conscientious and efficient effort. Finally, I will forgive those who offend me because I realize that I shall sometimes offend others and I will need their forgiveness. Wow, that's one of the most powerful things I've ever read, I think. <laughs> I think I'm going to read that again. One of the most successful men in his line in America gives his entire credit for his success to his wife. When they were first married, she wrote a creed which he signed and placed over his desk. This is a copy of the creed. I believe in myself. I believe in those who work with me. I believe in my employer. I believe in my friends. I believe in my family. I believe that God will lend me everything I need with which to succeed if I do my best to earn it through faithful and honest service. I believe in prayer, and I will never close my eyes in sleep without praying for divine guidance to the end that I will be patient with other people and tolerant with those who do not believe as I do. I believe that success is the result of intelligent effort and does not depend upon luck or sharp practices or double-crossing friends fellow men or my employer. I believe that I will get out of life exactly what I put into it. Therefore, I will be careful to conduct myself toward others as I would want them to act toward me. I will not slander those whom I do, do not like. I will not slight my work no matter what I may see others doing. I will render the best service of which I am capable because I have pledged myself to succeed in life and I know that success is always the result of conscientious and efficient effort. Finally, I will forgive those who offend me because I realize that I shall sometimes offend others and I will need their forgiveness. Signed, Anthony J. Bassett. <laughs> That's some powerful stuff. I mean, I added the Anthony J. Bassett. You can add your own name for yourself if that hit a chord with you.
The woman who wrote this creed was a practical psychologist of the First Order. With the influence and guidance of such a woman as a helpmate, any man could achieve noteworthy success. Analyze this creed and you will notice how freely the personal pronoun is used. It starts off with the affirmation of self-confidence, which is perfectly proper. No man would make this creed his own without developing the positive attitude that would attract to him people who would aid him in his struggle for success. This would be a splendid creed for every salesman to adopt. It might not hurt your chances for success if you adopted it. Mere adoption, however, is not enough. You must practice it. Read it over and over until you know it by heart. Then repeat it at least once a day until you have literally transformed it into your mental makeup. Keep a copy of it before you as a daily reminder of your pledge to practice it. By doing so, you will be making efficient use of the principle of auto-suggestion as a means of developing self-confidence. Never mind what anyone may say about the procedure. Just remember that it is your business to succeed, and this creed, if mastered and applied, will go a long way toward helping you. You learned in lesson one that any idea you firmly fix in your subconscious mind by repeated affirmation automatically becomes a plan or blueprint which an unseen power uses in directing your efforts toward the attainment of the objective named in the plan. You have also learned that the principle through which you may fix any idea you choose in your mind is called auto-suggestion, which simply means a suggestion that you give to your own mind. It was this principle of auto-suggestion that Emerson had in mind when he wrote, Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. You might well remember that nothing can bring you success but yourself. Of course, you will need the cooperation of others if you aim to attain success of a far-reaching nature, but you will never get that cooperation unless you vitalize your mind with the positive attitude of self-confidence. Perhaps you have wondered why a few men advance to highly paid positions while others all around them who have as much training and who seemingly perform as much work, do not get ahead. Select any two people of these two types that you choose and study them. And the reason why one advances and the other one stands still will be quite obvious to you. You will find that the one who advances believes in himself. You will find that he backs this belief with such dynamic, aggressive action that he lets others know that he believes in himself. You will also notice that his self-confidence is contagious. It is impelling. It is persuasive. It attracts others. This is something that I've experienced in my own life where there were certain people that had such a high level of self-confidence that they did maneuvers that were extremely risky and extremely dangerous 
and they didn't always work out well. But their self-confidence is what allowed them to influence people to make bad decisions. So I always think about that. I think about people that have such self-confidence because that's some, this is something I've really struggled with is self-confidence. So I always doubt myself. And if someone else has major confidence, I'll doubt the right answer in myself and then go double research it to make sure where other people just spew out nonsense. So it's kind of interesting how that works. It, it makes you, when people have such self-confidence in what they're saying, it makes you question yourself even if you have the right answer. I mean, think about that. And it's not just me, it's a lot of people. So self-confidence is so important. If you want a thing done well, call on some busy person to do it. Busy people are generally the most painstaking and thorough in all they do. You will also find that the one who does not advance shows clearly by the look on his face, by the posture of his body, by the lack of briskness in his step, by the uncertainty with which he speaks, that he lacks self-confidence. No one is going to pay much attention to the person who has no confidence in himself. He does not attract others because his mind is, negative, is a negative force that repels rather than attracts. In no other field of endeavor does self-confidence or the lack of it play such an important part as in the field of salesmanship. And you do not need to be a character analyst to determine the moment you meet him whether a salesman possesses this quality of self-confidence. If he has it, the signs of its, influences, its influence are written all over him. He inspires you with confidence in him and in the goods he is selling the moment he speaks. We come now to the point at which you are ready to take hold of the principle of auto-suggestion and make direct use of it in developing yourself into a positive and dynamic and self-reliant person. You are instructed to copy the following formula, sign it, and commit it to memory self-confidence formula first i know that i have the ability to achieve the objective of my definite purpose therefore i demand of myself persistent aggressive and continuous action toward its attainment second i realize that the dominant thoughts of my mind eventually reproduce themselves in outward bodily action and gradually transform themselves into physical reality. Therefore, I will concentrate my mind for 30 minutes daily upon the task of thinking of the person I intend to be. By creating a mental picture of this person and then transforming that picture into reality through practical service. Third, I know that through the principle of auto-suggestion, any desire that I persistently hold in my mind will eventually seek expression through some practical means of realizing it. Therefore, I shall devote 10 minutes daily to demanding of myself the development of the factors named in the 15 lessons of this reading course on the law of success. Fourth, 
I have clearly mapped out and written down a description of my definite purpose in life. For the coming five years, oh, for the coming five years, I have set a price on my services for each of these five years, a price that I intend to earn and receive through strict application of the principle of efficient, satisfactory service, which I will render in advance. Fifth, I fully realize that no wealth or position can long endure unless built upon truth and justice. Therefore, I will engage in no transaction which does not benefit all whom it affects. I will succeed by attracting to me the forces I wish to use in the cooperation of other people. I will induce others to serve me because I will first serve them. I will eliminate hatred, envy, jealousy, selfishness, and cynicism by developing love for all humanity. Because I know that a negative attitude toward others can never bring me success. I will cause others to believe in me because I will believe in them and in myself. I will sign my name to this formula, commit it to memory, and repeat it aloud once a day with full faith that it will gradually influence my entire life so that I will become a successful and happy worker in my chosen field of endeavor. My chosen field of endeavor is to feed, house, and empower one billion people by 2049 to live, work, play, love, learn, and pay it forward with happiness, health, and selfless abundance. I'm going to be doing this through the use of Happy Hero Spaces, Happy Hero Villages, and Happy Hero Cities. That's what this is about. It's about building the communities that are needed for today with the future in mind, with constant never-ending improvement. So that we're all living, working, playing, loving, learning, and paying it forward with gratitude. Signed, Anthony Joseph Bassett. Before you sign your name to this formula, make sure that you, are, that you intend to carry out its, its instructions. Back of this formula lies a law that no man can explain. The psychologists refer to this law as auto-suggestion. And let it go at that. But you should bear in mind one point about which there is no uncertainty, and that is the fact that whatever this law is, it actually works. Another point to be kept in mind is the fact that just as electricity will turn the wheels of industry and serve mankind in a million other ways, or snuff out life if wrongly applied, so will this principle of auto-suggestion lead you up to the mountainside of peace and prosperity, or down into the valley of misery and poverty. According to the application you make of it, oh, according to the application you make of it, if you fill your mind with doubt and unbelief in your ability to achieve, then the principles of auto-suggestion takes this spirit of unbelief and sets it up in your subconscious mind as your dominating thought 
and slowly but surely draws you into the whirlpool of failure. But if you fill your mind with radiant self-confidence, the principle of auto-suggestion takes this belief and sets it up as your dominating thought and helps you master the obstacles that fall in your way until you reach the mountaintop of success. The Power of Habit Having myself experienced all the difficulties that stand in the road of those who lack the understanding to make practical application of this great principle of auto-suggestion, let me take you a short way into the principle of habit, through the aid of which you may easily apply the principle of auto-suggestion in any direction and for any purpose whatsoever. Habit grows out of environment out of doing the same thing or thinking the same thoughts or repeating the same words over and over again. Habit may be likened to the groove on a phonograph record. While the human mind may be likened to the needle that fits into that groove. When any habit has been well formed through repetition of thought or action, the mind has a tendency to attach itself to and follow the course of that habit as closely as the phonograph needle follows the groove in the wax record. Habit is created by repeated directing, repeatedly directing one or more of the five senses of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and feeling in a given direction. It is through this repetition principle that the injurious drug habit is formed. It is through the same principle that the desire for intoxicating drink is formed into a habit. After habit has been well established, it will automatically control and direct our bodily activity, wherein may be found a thought that can be transformed into a powerful factor in the development of self-confidence. The thought is this, voluntarily and by force if necessary, direct your efforts and your thoughts along a desired line until you have formed the habit that will lay hold of you and continue voluntarily to direct your efforts along the same line. The object in writing out and repeating the self-confidence formula is to form the habit of making belief in yourself the dominating thought of your mind until the thought has been thoroughly embedded in your subconscious mind through the principle of habit. You learn to, to write by repeatedly directing the muscles of your arm and hand over certain outlines known as letters until finally you formed the habit of tracing these outlines. Now you can write now you write with ease and rapidity, without tracing each letter slowly. Writing has become a habit with you. The principle of habit will lay hold of the faculties of your mind just the same as it will influence the physical muscles of your body, as you can easily prove by mastering and applying this lesson on self-confidence. Any statement that you repeatedly make to yourself or any desire that you deeply, deeply plant in your mind through repeated statement will eventually seek expression through your physical outward bodily efforts. The principle of habit is the very foundation upon which this lesson on self-confidence is built. 
And if you will understand and follow the directions laid down in this lesson, you will soon know more about the law of habit from first-hand knowledge than could be taught you by a thousand such lessons as this. The principle of habit is the very foundation upon which this lesson of self-confidence is built. And if you will understand and follow the directions laid down in this lesson, you will soon know more about the law of habit from first-hand knowledge than could be taught you by a thousand such lessons as this. You have but little conception of the possibilities which lie sleeping within you, awaiting but the awakening hand of vision to arouse you, and you will never have a better conception of those possibilities unless you develop sufficient self-confidence to lift you above the commonplace influences of your present environment. The human mind is a marvelous, mysterious piece of machinery, a fact of which I was reminded a few months ago when I picked up Emerson's essays and reread his essay on spiritual laws. A strange thing happened. I saw in that essay, which I had read scores of times previously, much that I had never noticed before. I saw more in this essay than I had seen during previous readings because the unfoldment of my mind since the last reading had prepared me and prepared me to interpret more. The human mind is constantly unfolding like the petals of a flower, until it reaches the maximum of development. What this maximum is, where it ends, and whether it ends at all or not, are unanswerable questions. But the degree of unfoldment seems to vary according to the nature of the individual and the degree to which he keeps his mind at work. A mind that is forced or coaxed into analytical thought every day seems to keep an unfolding and developing greater powers of interpretation. Down in Louisville, Kentucky, lives Mr. Lee Cook, a man who has practically no legs and has to wheel himself around on a cart. In spite of the fact that Mr. Cook has been without legs since birth, he is the owner of a great industry and a millionaire through his own efforts. He has proved that a man can get along very well without legs if he has a well-developed self-confidence. In the city of New York, one may see a strong, able-bodied, and able-headed young man without legs rolling himself down Fifth Avenue every afternoon with a cap in hand begging for a living. His head is perhaps as sound and as able to think as the average. This young man could duplicate anything that Mr. Cook of Louisville has done if he thought of himself as Mr. Cook thinks of himself. Henry Ford owns more millions of dollars than he will ever need or use. Not so many years ago, 
He was working as a laborer in a machine shop with but little schooling and without capital. Scores of other men, some of them with better organized brains than his, worked near him. Ford threw off the poverty consciousness, developed confidence in himself, thought of success, and attained it. Those who worked around him could have done as well had they thought as he did. Milo C. Jones of Wisconsin was strictly down with was stricken down with paralysis a few years ago. So bad was the stroke that he could not turn himself in bed or move a muscle of his body. His physical body was useless, but there was nothing wrong with his brain. So it began to function in earnest, probably for the first time in its existence. Lying flat on his back in bed, Mr. Jones made that brain create a definite purpose. That purpose was prosaic and humble enough in nature, but it was definite. And it was a purpose, something that he had never known before. His definite purpose was to make pork sausage. Calling his family around him, he told of his plans and began directing them in carrying the plans into action. With nothing to aid him except a sound mind and plenty of self-confidence, Milo C. Jones spread the name and reputation of Little Pig Sausage all over the United States and accumulated a fortune besides. All this was accomplished after paralysis had made it impossible for him to work with his hands. Where thought prevails, power may be found. Henry Ford has made millions of dollars and is still making millions of dollars each year because he believed in Henry Ford and transformed that belief into a definite purpose and backed that purpose with a definite plan. The other merch machinists who worked along with Ford during the da early days of his career visioned nothing but a weekly pay envelope and that was all they ever got. They demanded, it, they demanded nothing out of the ordinary of themselves. If you wanted to get more, if you want to get more, be sure to demand more of yourself. Notice that this demand is to be made of yourself. There comes to mind a well-known poem whose author expressed a great psychological truth. If you, are, if you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win, but you think you can't, it is almost certain you won't. If you think you'll lose, you've lost. For out of the world we find Success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of mind. If you think you are outclassed, you are. You've got to think high to rise. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can ever win a prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man. But soon or late, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can.
It can do no harm if you commit this poem to memory and use it as a part of your working equipment in the development of self-confidence. I think Donald Trump repeated this poem to himself daily. I think Donald Trump has been heavily influenced by these teachings, honestly. If you look back um, to different spiritual leaders in his life, they were influenced by, by it as well. So it's really no wonder that he was able to take what his father had done, whether you love or hate the guy. He's the president of the United States, and his father built apartment buildings. And he ended up taking and turning that building empire into basically the, the presidency for himself. That's what he did over his lifetime. It was a 40-year mission. It was kind of wild, really wild. It can do no harm if you commit this poem to memory and use it as a part of your working equipment in the development of self-confidence. Somewhere in your makeup, there is a subtle something which, if it were aroused by the proper outside influence, would carry you to heights of achievement such as you have never before anticipated. Just as a master player can take hold of a violin and cause that instrument to pour forth the most beautiful and entrancing strains of music, so is there some outside influence that can lay hold of your mind and cause you to go forth into the field of your chosen endeavor and play a glorious symphony of success. No man knows what hidden forces lie dormant within you. You yourself do not know your capacity for achievement, and you never will know until you come in contact with that particular stimulus which arouses you to greater action and extends your vision, develops your self-confidence, and moves you with a deeper desire to achieve. It is not unreasonable to expect that some statement, some idea, or some stimulating word of this reading course on the law of success will serve as the needed stimulus that will reshape your destiny and redirect your thoughts and energies along a path that will lead you finally to your coveted goal of life. It is strange but true that the most important turning points of life often come at the most unexpected times and in the most unexpected ways. I have in mind a typical example of how some of the seemingly unimportant experiences of life often turn out to be the most important of all, and I am relating this case because it shows, also, that a man can accomplish when he awakens, what a man can accomplish when he awakens to a full understanding of the value of self-confidence. The incident to which I refer happened in the city of Chicago while I was engaged in the work of character analysis. One day a tramp presented himself at my office and asked for an interview. As I looked up from my work and greeted him, he said, I have come to see the man who wrote this little book. As he removed from his pocket a copy of a book entitled Self-Confidence which I had written many years previously. It must have been the hand of fate, he continued, that slipped this book into my pocket yesterday afternoon, because I was about ready to go out there and punch a hole in Lake Michigan. I had about come to the conclusion 
that everything and everybody, including God, had it in for me until I read this book. And it gave me a new viewpoint and brought me the courage and hope that sustained me through the night. I made up my mind that if I could see the man who wrote this book, it could help me get on my feet again. Now I am here and I would like to know what you can do for a man like me. The only man who makes no mistakes is the man who never does anything. Do not be afraid of mistakes, providing you do not make the same one twice. Theodore Roosevelt While he was speaking, I had been studying him from head to foot, and I am frank to admit that down deep in my heart I did not believe there was anything I could do for him, but I did not wish to tell him so. The glassy stare in his eyes, the lines of discouragement in his face, the posture of his body, the ten days growth of beard on his face, the nervous manner about this man all conveyed to me the impression that he was hopeless. But I did not have the heart to tell him so. Therefore, I asked him to sit down and tell me his whole story. I asked him to be perfectly frank and tell me, as nearly as possible, just what had brought him down to the ragged edge of life. I promised him that after I had heard his entire story, I would then tell him whether or not I could be of service to him. He related his story in lengthy detail, the sum of substance of which was this. He had invested his entire fortune in a small manufacturing business. When the World War began in 1914, it was impossible for him to get the raw materials necessary for the operation of his factory, and therefore, and he therefore failed. The loss of his money broke his heart and so disturbed his mind that he left his wife and children and became a tramp. He had actually brooded over his loss until he had reached the point at which he was contemplating suicide. After he had finished his story, I said to him, I have listened to you with a great deal of interest, and I wished that there was something which I could do to help you. But there is absolutely nothing. He became as pale as he will be when he is laid away in a coffin. And he settled back in his chair and dropped his chin on his chest as much as to say, that settles it. I waited for a few seconds, then said, while there is nothing that I can do for you, there is a man in this building to whom I will introduce you, if you wish, who can help you regain your lost fortune and put you back on your feet again. These words had barely fallen from my lips, and he jumped up, grabbed me by the hands, and said, For God's sake, lead me to this man. It was encouraging to note that he had asked this for God's sake. This indicated that there was still a spark of hope within his breast, so I took him by the arm and led him into the laboratory where my psychologist tests in character analysis 
where my psychological tests and character analysis were conducted and stood with him in front of what looked like to be a curtain over a door. I pulled the curtain aside and uncovered a tall looking glass in which he saw himself from head to foot. Pointing my finger at the glass, I said, There stands the man to whom I promised to introduce you. There is the only man in this world who can put you back on your feet again. And unless you sit down and become acquainted with that man, as you never became acquainted with him before, you might just as well go on over and punch a hole in Lake Michigan. Because you will be of no value to yourself or the world until you know this man better. He stepped over to the glass, rubbed his hands over his bearded face, studied himself from head to toe, head to foot for a few moments, stepped back, dropped his head and began to weep. I knew that the lesson had been driven home. So I led him back to the elevator and sent him away. I never expected to see him again and I doubted that the lesson would be sufficient to help him regain his place in the world because he seemed to be too far gone for redemption. He seemed to be not only down but almost out. A few days later I met this man on the street. His transformation had been so complete that I hardly recognized him. He was walking briskly with his head tilted back. That old shifting nervous posture of his body was gone. He was dressed in new clothes from head to foot. He looked prosperous and he felt prosperous. He stopped me and related that what had happened to bring about his rapid transformation from a state of abject failure to one of hope and promise. It was, I was just on my way to your office, he explained, to bring you the good news. I went out the very day that I was in your office, a down and out tramp. And despite my appearance, I sold myself at a salary of $3,000 a year. Think of it, a man. Think of it, man. $3,000 a year. And my employer advanced me enough money, enough with which to buy some new clothes, as you can see for yourself. He also advanced me some money to send home to my family. And I am once more on the road to success. It seems like a dream when I think that only a few days ago I had lost hope and faith and courage and was actually contemplating suicide. I was coming to tell you 
that one of these days you are least expecting me, I will pay you another visit. And when I do, I will be a successful man. I will bring with me a check, signed in blank, and made payable to you, and you may fill in the amount because you have saved me from myself by introducing me to myself. That self, which I never knew until you stood me in front of that looking glass and pointed out the real me. As that man turned and departed in the crowded streets of Chicago, I saw the first time for the first time in my life what strength and power and possibility lie hidden in the mind of a man who has never discovered the value of self-reliance. Then and there, I made up my mind that I too would stand in front of that same looking glass and point an accusing finger at myself for not having discovered the lessons which I had helped another to learn. I did stand before that same looking glass, and as I did, so I then and there fixed in my mind as my definite purpose in life, the determination to help men and women discover the forces that lie sleeping within them. The book you hold in your hands is evident that my definite purpose is carried out. The man whose story I have related is now the president of one of the largest and most successful concerns of its kind in America, with a business that extends from coast to coast and from Canada to Mexico. A short while after the incident just related, a woman came to my office for personal analysis. She was then a teacher in the Chicago Public Schools. I gave her an analysis chart and asked her to fill it out. She had been at work on the chart but a few minutes when she came back to my desk, handed it back, handed back the chart and said, I do not believe I will fill this out. I asked her why she had decided not to fill out the chart and she replied, to be perfectly frank with you, one of the questions in this chart put me to thinking and now know what is wrong with me. Therefore, I feel it unnecessary to pay you a fee to analyze me. With that, the woman went away and did not hear, and I did not hear from her for two years. She went to New York City, became a writer of advertising copy for one of the largest agencies in the country, and her income at the time she wrote to me was $10,000 a year. This woman sent to me a check to cover the cost of my analysis fee because she felt that the fee had been earned even though I did not render her the service that I usually render my clients. It is impossible for anyone to foretell what seemingly insignificant incident may lead to an important turning point in one's career, but there is no denying that the fact that these turning points may be more readily recognized by those who have well-rounded out confidence in themselves. One of the most irresistible losses to the human race lies in the lack of knowledge that there is a definite method through which self-confidence can be developed in any person of average intelligence. What an immeasurable loss to civilization that young men and women are not taught this known method of developing self-confidence before they complete their schooling. 
for no one who lacks faith in himself is really educated in the proper sense of the term. Oh, what glory and satisfaction would be the happy heritage of the man or woman who could pull aside the curtain of fear that hangs over the human race and shuts out the sunset 